welcome back to another special edition of the Velo Chumps podcast. We have Mike Green with us tonight. Mike Green, how are you doing? How is your computer working out for you tonight? Not well. Not well. Not I'm, well. Ready. I'm ready to destroy everything that I've got in my house over this computer <laughs> malfunction. This a, yeah, this is about the seventh time we tried to start this show tonight, but you know, some days it's like that. Ryan you Brainer, know what? It's seven what? years old and, and I've dropped that computer yeah. many times, so it's, yeah, it's doing well. all right. Yeah, good. Ryan Brainer, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, flu has hit my house, so I haven't done much of anything in like three days. So I was very much looking forward to this. So happy to be here. Well, at least you didn't miss any outside riding days. It's been mm. it's been in the minuses for uh, where we are in the past past three to four days. So, you know, I guess if you had to have it, it, it came at a good time. Yeah. But you guys get to hear from those two every week. This week we have... Not one, but two special guests. We have with us two, again, professional bike racers. Can you believe it? On the VeloChumps podcast, we have Kylie Spearing. Kylie, hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? It's good to be on here. Thanks for having awesome. us. Awesome. Awesome. And Ethan Overson. How are you doing tonight, Ethan? Doing good. Just staying warm or trying to. Trying to. I mean, I think you guys are out in Boulder. I think it's a little bit warmer than here, but I guess it is still pretty. Uh, you're, I see you in Zwift a lot, so. Yeah, well, the last three days, it was, uh, I think the lowest we had was negative 17, and the highest we've had, oh, you know. I think, was today, which was zero. So it's been perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, we've uh, spent spent the last 10 hours three feet from each other on, on Zwift, so. We're, awesome. Uh, happy to be in separate rooms doing this podcast now. <laughs> That's great to hear. Really <laughs> well, glad we your, could help you out. Really <laughs> regretting your choice not to go to Girona <laughs> this winter. Yeah, yeah, big we, time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're uh, seeing everybody start leaving for training camps, and yeah, the FOMO has been high missing yeah. out. But we're uh, we're excited to be in Boulder in one place this winter, which will be a change. Nice. So, you guys. I know you've told us, you've listened to a few of our episodes before, so you know a little bit about our show. You know we're the Velo Chomps. We're not necessarily making a show, or we're not necessarily like, you know, hardcore cyclists, and we're not necessarily making a show for hardcore cyclists. So believe it or not, not everybody listens to the show might have heard of you two. So do you want to introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us why the Velo Chomps are so excited to have Kylie and Ethan on the show tonight? Go ahead. Tell me, Kylie. Who, introduce yourself. <laughs> um, well, hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, my name's Kylie. Um, gosh, where to go in with my history? I've jumped around quite a bit. Um, I originally came from draft legal triathlon, uh, moved over to cycling about two and a half, three years ago. Started out um, you know, with a few local gravel races and eventually transcended into more of a road scene um, and spent all of last year really racing road in Europe um, on um, a French American continental team. So I really got the full uh, European experience um, and, you know, ended up this year coming back, deciding that I was going to focus more on a gravel calendar Ended my year with I or with UCI Gravel Worlds, which was such an incredible experience, and um, yeah, just happy to sort of dive into the gravel scene in the U.S. 
Um, it's sort of fun to be a part of it as, you know, the road scene, as everybody sort of seen is dissipating. Um, and yeah, so just throwing myself, you know, head first in the deep end and on the, on the dirt scene and loving it. Awesome. Awesome. Ethan, how about you, man? Yeah. Um, so this is going to be my second year in the gravel scene. Uh, prior to that, it was all, all on the roadside. Uh, I started off with a youth team in Tucson uh, called El Grupo. Uh, and I lived in Tucson for about, or rode in Tucson uh, while I was living there for about six or seven years. Um, and then uh, from El Grupo, I went over to Gateway uh, Cycling, uh, which that team unfortunately folded, I think, about two years ago now. Um and then moved out to Colorado about three years ago and kind of uh, dove in headfirst into the gravel scene. And so this will be my this will be my second year in the gravel scene and just kind of more of a solo privateer, as they would call it. Uh, just kind of, you know, by myself, getting my own sponsors and kind of taking myself to the races. Uh, and so uh, similar to last year, I'll be doing the same thing this year. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. And uh, let's awesome. do it. Yeah, you know, anytime we have actual pros on, it's it it's crazy. I mean, you guys never want to talk about how good of a bike racers you actually are. So I end up having to do it. But uh, you know, Kylie here, she yeah, she was um, you know, went under the gravel scene. You did podium at Garmin Gravel Worlds, which, you know, is not a you know, insignificant accomplishment. That's pretty awesome. And like she said, she didn't mention it sort of in passing, but she did represent team usa at the uci gravel world championships in italy this past year so that's pretty cool um ethan same thing you also represented team usa at the uci gravel world championships ethan um not this past racing year but the year before that won the unbound 100 gravel race so also not an insignificant insignificant accomplishment so you know obviously you two are uh accomplished cyclists and you know we're we're proud to have you on the show and i know you probably didn't want to talk about that yourself so i just wanted to throw it out there but uh you know to get things started you both mentioned that you um the that you're you know you're racing in the usa on the gravel scene and what you know what i think is really interesting is you know what i wanted to get into a little bit and let's just see where this conversation goes is both of you are young enough to be up and coming still, even though we just discussed that you're already accomplished cyclists, you're already there, but still you're young enough to be up and coming. And you're not necessarily, from what I'm hearing, targeting going to Europe, which for years and years and years, it's been, hey, if you want to make it in cycling, you have to get to Europe. And whatever it is for, you know, whether it's cyclocross, whether it's road, whatever it is, you know, if you want to make it in cycling, you got to get to Europe. And then, you know, this gravel scene started in the U.S. that was sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, the world tour pros, when they retire, they can come back and do these gravel races. And, you know, what we I have some questions about that. I want to get your opinions on. We'll get to later. But that's sort of been the what's going on. But then. You two are, like I said, young enough to be up and coming. You have a career in front of you, and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to try to make it here in the U.S. And, I mean, I don't know if you realize it, but that's basically a brand new frontier in cycling in the U.S. And people have been trying to make that happen for a long time. And here you go, here you go, you two go, and you're you're trying it out. So 
obviously you both have the talent to be in Europe. So I'm interested to hear from each of you, what is it about the current situation in cycling that A, gives you the opportunity to stay in the U.S. and B, gives you the motivation and make the decision that you want to stay in the U.S. and, and make your career here versus jumping over the pond? Yeah, I mean, mainly like it's, you know, it, in, in Europe, like cycling is their sport, similar to like mm -hmm. football here, or like basketball here, like everybody in Europe, it's either like soccer or it's cycling. It's kind of like the sport. So like, you know, versus in the US, you know, you get football, you get basketball, like those are kind of our two main main sports, I would say, you know, baseball as well. Um, but so people in, in Europe, they know they grow up, you know, 12 years old, 10 years old and start racing bikes. Um, and so, you know, they're also used to the to the roads there, you know, small, what should be one way roads, and they're not one yeah. way, they're two way. Um, but just tiny roads that weave all over the place uh, versus, you know, here we grow up riding and we're used to you know, roads that are four, four lanes, lanes wide and, and, you know, ample room. And then you go over Europe and you're squeezing into these tiny roads and like, you know, headbutting and, and shouldering like huge, like six foot five Belgian guys that'll body slam you <laughs> into like a ditch or something like that. And so it's, you know, it makes it difficult just not being able to like replicate, I guess, those style races here in the U S uh, I mean, like the closest thing you get are, are really crits. Um, but even then, you know, they're wide roads and that sort of thing. Uh, and then again, like, you know, going over to Europe's tough, you know, you're, you're 5,000 miles away from, from the U S from, uh, your family and that sort of thing. So it's tough going over there, not knowing a whole lot of people. Um, and then also like, you know, half the time you can't communicate with, uh, you know, your teammates or anything like that, that are in Europe. Like, you know, if you don't speak any other language, like it makes it real difficult. Um, and so you just go there and it's a complete, complete change, complete culture change. Like, so you're kind of trying to wrap your head around everything at one time while all while you're trying to focus on racing and trying to put in a good result. Um, and so <clears throat> with the gravel scene, it's, it's nice because you stay in the U S but there's still, you know, there's still, uh, you know, chances to develop. Um, you know, you can, you can make a decent living, like you get like these classic style races, which mm -hmm. suits me very well. And so that's really what I like about the gravel scene is like, it's, uh, it's as close to like a one day classics race as we're going to get in the U S. And so I, you know, I really prefer chaotic and messy races. And so the gravel races are just that. And I think that's also why it attracts so many other people is it's, it's just chaotic. It's a lot of fun. You know, you're on the dirt, you're out in the middle of nowhere, like, instead of having like a hundred mile road race in a group, you go out and you do, you know, like 200 mm -hmm. mile unbound, uh, in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, you're not with a, in a Peloton, like it's maybe you and a couple other guys, like, and so, you know, it's, it's really just the closest thing to Europe, uh, as we can get here in the U S. And so I think that's really the main, the main thing. And, uh, I think it's really bringing a lot of attention to, I think young developing people, but also like, you know, amateurs that want to, that want to, you know, do the same courses as the pros or amateurs that want to do, you mm -hmm. know, that want to be able to start with the pros or race with the pros, like that sort of thing. Uh, so it's, it's just very inclusive, but also like, I think it's the best development route, at least in the U S and not, you know, not being able to have a job and going over to Europe or something like that, you know, like 16 years old, like you're, you know, you go over to Europe and you don't speak any other language. You, you can't get a job. Like you, it's just really tough to like, be able to live and then also race. Um, so yeah. you know, gravel is a great option. Yeah. Kylie, uh, 
actually wanted to hear from you specifically because you did, you mentioned you spent time in Europe mm -hmm. and you actually, and, and this is another thing just to mention how accomplished Kylie is. I mean, you were lining up against a lot of people that people that listen to the show have actually heard of. I mean, you were lining up against Lorena Webus and like legit riders. So you tried to go that route and not that you didn't succeed, but it seems to me like you made a decision to come and, and further your career here. And I'd really like to hear a little bit about that journey because that's an interesting perspective that not that many people have. Yeah, and uh, there, there's a few points that I'll touch on, but um, on the developmental pathway, I think women are um, you know, a case that needs to be looked at a little bit differently than the men's field. Um, we have mm -hmm. less um, variety in levels. And so you look at a pro you know, men's field in Europe, there's the continental level, there's the pro continental level, and there's world tour. Um, and currently women, pro women right now have continental and world tour, um, in which, you know, most of the races, continental teams will race world tour teams. So mm -hmm. you go, you go over to Europe, um, say, let's say it's your first year on a continental team. It's your first time racing in Europe and you get a contract. Um, you're lining up to say maybe eight different women's world tour teams in a Belgian mm -hmm. classic. Um, so the developmental pathway is hard in that respect because um, there really is no option besides, um, you know, local French or Spanish or, you know, local European teams for you to get um, sort of a taste of the European Peloton, um, not at the highest level. And so I think that's really tough. Um, women's continental teams, uh, thankfully, I was one of the few um, that had paid salaries, but continental teams for women aren't required to pay women's riders. Mm. Um, so that's another, you know, roadblock is you have women going over, not earning a living, trying to develop um, in an environment like Ethan mentioned, that's completely different to the way that you grew up under under your family safety net or your environmental safety net. Um, you go over there and it's just, it, there's a lot of life happening. Um, but, you know, aside from the developmental conversation, and we can touch on that more because I do think that's, you know, a really mm -hmm. fun, fun part of the gravel development. Um, but, you know, with a team becomes uh, a lot of your yourself is managed by team nutritionists, team directors, um, team sportifs. And so what's really great about gravel is that you can have sort of this um this greater autonomy being in the mm -hmm. gravel scene where you can pick your managers, you can choose to be with a gravel team, or you can choose to completely go off on your own and be a privateer and assemble your, your team around you. And so you've seen a lot of success, um, both routes in gravel, which is really cool to see. Um, and I think the barrier to entry for women um, is especially low, which is great because unlike men, you see a lot of women coming in later. They've a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot, most of it, I think the statistic, you know, and you'll have to double check this, um, but, you know, over 60, 65% of the women's Peloton is college educated, if not with a master's. And so you see, um, especially on the American side, a lot of women coming into the sport later. Um, and so not having that junior pipeline for women is amazing. Um, and, you know, you're a bit older, you want a little bit more control over your development, gravel's great. Um, so, you know, I, I loved my European experience and I loved road. It's just nice to have a little bit more control over my development hmm. um, and my race schedule, which is really important to me. Some riders 
um, you know, are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to deal with this at all. I want to put it on, you know, my manager and they can just tell me what to do at all times. Um, and, you know, there's, there's that way. And then there's, Hey, I want an active part in my race schedule and my sponsor schedule. And so that, that part is, is fun to me. So I really enjoyed that part of gravel. That's cool. I mean, it's interesting that you both mentioned development as you have development opportunities doing gravel here in the U S and you know, it, that's something that's it, maybe it's hard, a little bit hard for me and, uh, Mike and Ryan here to relate to you because we're obviously just play bike riders. We're not, you know, real bike riders. And, you know, obviously we, we sort of miss that boat to developing into riders that are going to be, you know, doing it for more than just a hobby. But for someone like you that, like I said, are young enough to be up and coming and you obviously see development as in a very important part, especially at this point in your career, like what are the, what would you compare and contrast? Like, what would you say are the most, the biggest differences when it comes to development opportunities, riding gravel here in the U.S. versus versus trying to make it in, like you said, whether you know being on a continental team or whatever the case may be in Europe. Like, what do you what do you see as the big differences in terms of the specifically developmental opportunities? And it'd be interesting for you, Ethan, to talk about it from you know the men's side and you, Kylie, from the women's side. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is like a lot of people, like at least the U.S. people, like it's always like, okay, to, to you know, go world tour or go pro, you have to go to Europe. So like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, we end up like forcing all these like juniors to go to Europe and then they go to Europe and, you know, they, they do a couple trips over there. Um, and, you know, there's a couple that, you know, they, they do well and, you know, they go on to the next level, very few. And then there's the people who don't do well and they come back and then they just stop cycling in general, because I don't know if it's like they, they think that the only option is like they need to go to Europe and do well in Europe and then they go world tour or they don't do it at all. Um, which, which isn't the case, but you know, that's, that's kind of the most clear line that, that has kind mm -hmm. of been shown to everybody. Um, and so, you know, there's, you know, 30, 40 people that I've raced against as juniors who raced up until they were, 1920 and then they're like well i'm not going world tour because i'm not in europe right now so then they just stop racing um hmm. instead of you know going back to the u.s and be like well you know i can just race in the u.s and like try to try to you know do well at u.s races and and go to europe from there or instead of just being like you know i just want to do u.s races and enjoy the racing side of things i think they just you know they just end up cracking and they're sick of the sport because they've they've done it so hardcore for so long and they're like well i have to do this now and so they just kind of they basically just just drown themselves in in you know this development this quote unquote development process that the U.S. has, um, which I think you know there, again there are a couple of people who have gone been been able to go through it, but I think it's it's kind of a poor uh, poor process. Um, and so hmm. I think that's where gravel comes in is like you're not going overseas, you're not you know going away from your family, you're not staying in some like random place and not being able to talk to people. Like you're hanging out with your friends here in the U.S. You're you know, going to ride in places, uh, that you enjoy and, and places that you're familiar with. And, you know, you get to go to your, your favorite coffee shop after the ride, or like, you know, you get to go have dinner with your family and that sort of thing. Like, you know, you're, you're still out racing, you know, there's still, I think it's, it's really good development process, uh, is doing the gravel stuff. I mean, there's been a couple, uh, athletes in the gravel scene who have had world tour offers from, from good, uh, results in the gravel series. Cause you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of like ex world tour people or, uh, current, 
pro-continental riders in in the gravel peloton. I mean, Alejandro Valverde raced world tour mm-hmm. for for 21 years and retired from cycling and is now doing uh, you know is now doing gravel full time. Um, you know, and he's kind of a bad example. He should have retired. Like he's been doing it long <laughs> enough. You know, like if I had been world tour and had all that stress for 21 years, I think I'd be I'd be good with with not racing bikes but uh yeah, but he came in fourth in the <laughs> didn't he come in fourth i mean you know yeah i mean so, he's clearly still got it but you know again <laughs> turns out when you've been world tour for 21 years it's probably not going to go away very quick from the outside looking in and more specifically for the women and kylie i think and this is again the chumps perspective but i feel like and not to name drop but we're all you know escape members and abby mickey always brings up how because there's not three tiers in the women's European scene that it's like you have, you know, like SD works, but then you have these Conti teams. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, it's like, if you can't like compete at that level, then it's like, are you really developing? Like, I feel like to your point, and again, this is from a novice point of view from the outside looking in, I feel like there's, more ways to win an American gravel race than there are ways to win a European road race. So if you're, you know, out of the race before you even get halfway through in Europe, then like, is there really any developmental opportunity there? Yeah. And not, you know, to expand on that, it it is interesting. You hear that a lot and, and having experienced that, it, you know, there's, there is the argument for ability, but then you, there's, you know, everything compounding on top of that. It's new lifestyle, new team, communication. Um, you know, you're so far away from your family. Your whole life has been turned upside down. And and you, you may be new and not have the skill level of the Europeans either. So there, there's so much really at play there. Um, and what's awesome about gravel is, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in learning how to win races before you jump to the to the next level. I think that's super important. Besides, you know, going there and having that experience is great, but if you've never learned how to win a race, how are you going to to win a race at that level, right? Um, and the gravel races themselves, I, I mean, I I feel like we haven't been giving respect to how hard gravel racing is. It really does replicate, you know, the European peloton in in this style of racing of how hard it is um you know power wise to get through these races they're not easy uh, you know some people make the argument um it, it's not as tactical as as mm-hmm. well, right and 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 sure fine you some races may not be as tactical but it teaches you how to have grit how to race and how to win um which you know before going over to europe i, I wish i had more experience in you know the, the play tactics there um, and some of my hardest races, um, you know, were not, was not the Belgian classic. It was, it was a gravel race. It was UCI gravel worlds. Um, and so it, it's really interesting. I think, you know, there's a multitude of things at play, but for me, um, looking at it from a developmental perspective, being a happy athlete is a fast athlete. And I think developing in the U S maybe a little bit longer provides that to an athlete. Um, you know, to have a little bit more maturity to be like, okay, hey, you know what, there's a learning process or a learning curve to every level. Um, and just because, you know, it's my first year in cycling and I line up next to Lorena and I, I can't win, it doesn't mean I don't have the ability to be a top American mm-hmm. talent or a top European talent. It just means 
you know, there are so many variables at play that have to neutralize over the, the coming years. Well, and to your point, you're a product of the environment you're in. Right. So like if you're in, uh, you know, a European environment, but you're not in your happy place, then, you know, that has compounding impacts, not only on your performance, but your mental health and wellness as well. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, such a, such a big part of athletics is the mental side and probably not talked about enough, but, you know, those first couple years over in Europe, um, they really are sort of a mental, a mental make or break. And I think being able to have the option, um, you know, like Ethan said, not be, not feeling pressure to, to follow the pipeline when you're not necessarily ready, um, is, is amazing to have that, that U S development option. Well, and Ryan, you were saying like, I think that's also another issue with, uh, a lot of the U S juniors that go over there is that I think they stop enjoying what they're doing. I think they stop having fun because they're so, uh, you know, I don't know if they feel pressured or if they feel like they have to, but they, they feel like they have to get, you know, they have to go stay in Europe or they have to go world tour at this age or, so I think they kind of lose focus on on why they started riding, and and they kind of lose the enjoyment that they uh, that they have when they do ride. So like I think that's what really does it is it goes away like that enjoyment and that fun that they had when they when they ride bikes it all goes away, and so they hmm. you know they stop they stop riding bikes and they're just cracked and they're and they you know they've they've done it as a as a job like they're not enjoying it they're forcing themselves to do it at that point and that's I think that's where when people really fall off I think that's the issue. Wow! So I mean, you should tell him. You should tell him to talk to us because none of us are going to make world tour anytime soon. We still ride our bikes all the time. I was going to say, yeah. so there's no wing Wednesdays to the tap in Europe. What's up? With yeah, that? you know exactly. They get to do the donut ride and all that stuff. No, but I mean, obviously, we ride bikes seriously. Like we ride a lot of miles, and we have we have a lot of fun. It's the whole point. None of us are going to you know make any money riding bikes. In fact, we talk about this. We lose a lot of money riding bikes, but but you know, it's still you know, it's a great thing to do. But you know, it's really fascinating what you two both said is, is Ethan, you specifically mentioned, you know, kids that you raced with that are out of the sport now. And I bet you, Kylie, you can also name a bunch of younger women that are now out of the sport. And that's really fascinating because, you know, when I've looked at the world tour and I'm like, man, you know, in the U.S., we, it seems like with such a big country, we could have more riders. But I wonder if what you're saying, the fact that we have this, what you mentioned, what you call it is a poor developmental pipeline is contributing to not maybe having as many riders as we could. And what I wanted to ask you both about, and, you know, maybe Kylie could start off with this is yes. What you're saying is that gravel gives you this developmental opportunity that maybe you wouldn't have had, or you don't have elsewhere, particularly on the women's side, because you don't have the, that extra level. But do you see it as, Hey, I can use, I have this developmental opportunity and I'm going to take it and use it and further my career and further myself and grow myself. But then with the ambition that maybe you will go back to Europe one day, or do you see it as I want to try to contribute to making this gravel thing or the U.S. scene big enough that I can just stay here? Or is it some of both and you're not sure yet? I'm, I'm really curious to see where where your mind is on that. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the beauty of gravel racing in itself. You have, you know, sort of both options in your back pocket. You know, if you have an offer that's, you know, sort of irresistible in Europe, that, that option's there. And if you connect with the right sponsors and build your, you know, athlete network in the U.S., and then, then you can stay and have a long career there. Um, and I just, I think when you're young and new, you should be able to sort of have the option of, 
you know, I'm not sure yet, you know, we'll see where mm-hmm. my rider type lies. We'll see where my, you know, aspirations lie and that changes. Um, and so I think it's really fun. I mean, I, I did year up last year and this year I'm really motivated to um, have some top performances in the gravel seat, gravel year. Um, and it's funny, you know, a lot of people after, you know, deciding to do the gravel year, you know, had asked me, oh, but, you know, you were doing some of the biggest races in Europe, um, you know, on the roadside. That's so exciting. You know, you just need to give yourself some years. And when I think uh, back to um, my first gravel race that I'd finished, um, which happened to be Unbound 200, sort of a a rough start to (laughs) throwing myself (laughs) in gravel, um, I just, I had so much fun. I I love the dirt and and I'm new to it. And I've got a lot of skills to catch up on from, you know, as most of the mountain bikers will say, they can tell who's a roadie and who came from mountain biking. Um, but I just, I love the dirt and it makes me happy. And when I'm, when I'm happy, I race, I race my best. So, you know, I sort of decided to follow, follow my heart and bring my brain with me this year. Um, so I'm hoping I, I sort of find my nook within the, within the cycling community. It's awesome. And, you know, Ethan, um, similar question but you know you feel do you feel like you could help contribute to making this sort of gravel scene a more i'll call it a more legitimate thing for young people because you know and i do want to we will get back to this there's sort of been like you know it's the pros retirement is to go to gravel (laughs) but and you mentioned that valverde retired and went to gravel but um you know, you're not this person that retired out of road racing and came to gravel. I mean, you're, you're having a go at it, you know, at the beginning of your career. And do you feel like rather than seeing it just as a stepping stone, do you see it as, Hey, I want to contribute to making this something bigger than it is today. That'll give me a chance to be a professional and, you know, do my thing here in the U S. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think originally, like, I think a lot of the world tour people who have retired and kind of come into the gravel scene, I think, uh, you know, I, I think they kind of started off, like, I think this whole movement started off because I think it was the kind of the next biggest thing behind road racing. And so I think they mm-hmm. thought that it was just going to be easy and they were going to be able to hop in and, you know, get some money because there is a ton of money in the gravel scene. And so I think they were just like, oh, you know, I'll just, it's still racing bikes. I can just go grab a paycheck real quick and like, it'll be easy, like that sort of thing. Um, and so I think that really, I think that really changed like two years ago, maybe a year ago, um, you know, until we had like a world championship and like, you know, you see all these, all these, uh, you know, ex world tour and, and even current world tour, uh, racers in, in the Peloton. I mean, unbound, I had like, I think it was 10, maybe 12, uh, ex world tour and current world tour pros in there. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. you had Julian Absalon who, uh, not world tour, but mountain bike world champ. He won world champion junior. He won world champion U23. He won world champion elite multiple times. He, uh, got a medal in the Olympics. I don't know if it was, I don't, I'm not sure what medal it was, but he got either gold, silver, or bronze. Like there's legit athletes in there. Um, and Mm -hmm. so I think it's now they're, they're kind of like filling up their calendar, uh, with gravel races when, you know, they got something that, you know, if they're not, they're not racing that weekend or whatever, I think they're kind of filling up their calendar with, with gravel races. Um, and so I think it really went from a joke, like almost to, to now everybody's like, Oh, like there's legit people in here. I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's pretty crazy to see. Um, and originally like, you know, originally I kind of started the gravel thing as a development pipeline to the world tour. 
There was just mm-hmm. so many eyes on Unbound. I mean, Unbound this year uh, in 2023 got more views than Perry Bay, um, which is mm-hmm. the biggest one day cycling race, uh, I'd say, probably in the world aside from the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's there's, you know, there's plenty of opportunity. You know, you win Unbound and you're going to get a World Tour contract. Um, and so originally it started off as me, you know, thinking like, oh, this is going to be a great way to go to the World Tour. And the more I do the gravel stuff, I think the more I, I'd rather just do the gravel stuff and stay here. Like, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I enjoy the grit. I enjoy how hard it is. Like, I enjoy suffering. Um, but I also enjoy being in the U.S. Like, I enjoy riding my home roads. I enjoy hanging out with my friends. Um, and so I think it's something that I'd, you know, I'd like to really kind of build on and, and make popular and, you know, kind of help get some of the younger athletes and younger cyclists, like, into the gravel scene as a pipeline. Um, but I, I really think that the, that the gravel thing is the way to go, like, you know, stay home and enjoy, enjoy your life and enjoy bike racing and, you know, don't go over (laughs) overseas and suffer. Well, and I like to think that, I mean, I can just speak from my own experience. My two daughters every single week talk about the Leadville experience. They wear their (laughs) t-shirts to school like every week. They have their cowbells like sitting on their dressers in their bedrooms. So maybe it's like, maybe it's the long-term plan. Maybe it's not the short-term plan, but maybe in like another 10 years, all these people that have been for the last three, four five years watching the Unbounds and the Leadvilles and the, you know, like wait till they're 16, 17, 18. Um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the future of cycling in America. And then you brought up another interesting point. Like while we've been talking about you guys going to Europe, now in the last year or two, there's a bunch of Europeans coming to America to race, which is, you know, in my opinion, just increasing the validity and the, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, the professionalism and the reputation of the U.S. scene. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is big time. And, you know, it's always like originally it was like, okay, all the U.S. guys are going to go over to Europe for a couple months and they're going to race there. And now you get all these Europeans coming over here for a couple months. You know, they do the the main Lifetime Grand Prix block, which is going to be basically from Unbound to Big Sugar. So Unbound's in like beginning June to Big Sugar, which is end of October. And they're here for six months. They don't go home. Um, mainly just because I think, you know, it costs a lot to go back and forth, but also you know, they're, they're here getting different training in, they can go pre-ride the courses and do that sort of thing. Um, but it's pretty crazy to see, I mean, all these Europeans being here in the U S cause you know, when I was going through my junior years and, and even U 23, I mean, up until two years ago, like it was always like, everybody's over in Europe, but it, all this has happened so quick. Like in the last, I'd say really two years, like everybody's coming over to Europe or coming over to the U S to do these gravel races. And it's, it's pretty cool to see. And it's really helping, I think the, the cycling industry, but also the U S as a whole. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously super beneficial and I hope it continues, but, uh, we'll see how far this gravel thing goes. Yeah. Yeah. Kylie, I wanted to ask you because you, you know, mentioned how it does particularly for women create this ability to have this sort of developmental opportunity. And like you said, have a chance to go out there and learn how to race, learn how to win on your terms. But there are, to me, there's two sort of theories out here. One is that gravel is becoming a big thing because in the U.S., as as well as many other countries, people don't want to ride their bikes on the road because there's cars and it's dangerous. 
And gravel is just very popular. And if they can see other people racing that, it's something they can get into. And there's sort of this one theory that gravel could be a really big thing that stays. It just becomes a thing. Then there's the other theory that it's just the current fad and it's like fat bikes and they're all going to go away and nobody's going to do gravel in five years. That's the other theory. And, you know, there's, you know, if you start this conversation at a cyclist group, that's, you know, you'll get opinions, right? I'm sure you've yeah. had these yeah, conversations, it's a, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big controversy <laughs> that we still have yeah. with uh, our, our road friends as well. But um, <laughs> I think there's huge upside in, in the American scene and, and, you know, to Ryan's point, his daughter is watching, watching the Leadville experience. If you look at the top 15 um, at Unbound 200 in the pro women's field, um, the average age was 33. Um, mm -hmm. So we've, we sort of have yet to have any visibility from the younger generation. And, you know, I think part of that is, you know, people are feeling out, is this going to be a fad or is this going to be lasting? And I think that's the question around the developmental um, pipeline is, do I take a chance and, and go with the, the supposed current fad or, you know, is this going to be a big thing? Um, and I, I really do think it's going to stay. I think the American scene needs it. You know, we've, we've always had these, you know, American legends of sport and cycling and, you know, why not have that at home? You know, we've seen the disappearance of Colorado classic and Tour of Utah and all those big races that, you mm -hmm. know, you bring your kids to that are like, wow, this is something I want to do when I grow up. Um, and I think gravel brings that back. Um, and, you know, you look at the business side of things, you know, they sort of gravel has sort of taken up the same structure as, as Ironman um, and half Ironman having, you know, mm -hmm. combi you know, combined visibility with brands, with, um, you know, the amateur side and the pro side. And that's super important. I mean, as you know, everybody knows, you know, you need, to be a pro athlete, you need to have contracts, you need to have support. And that allows American athletes and Europeans to come over and sort of build their career here. And if, you know, gravel is, is meant to stay, you have to have a lasting business plan that allows athletes to, to keep making money. And so I think on both sides, it's really interesting. And, you know, my opinion may differ from 90% of the cycling world, <laughs> but, you know, I, I hope it, I hope it stays. I think it could be amazing. You know, I, it's interesting. I, I, you know, talking with sponsors and brands, I, one of my points was there is no younger women in gravel racing. And, you know, we do have, you know, old, we do, you know, skew older than the men's field, but, you know, this is, this is here and now, and I'd love to see a 17 year old or an 18 year old start their career here um, and stay in the U S. And so, you know, we're sort of seeing that from, you know, the 25 plus group, but, to see juniors, you know, say, Hey, I, I want to be a gravel athlete would be, would be amazing. And I think we're, we're getting there. You know, Kylie, I actually have a quick, quick follow-up question on that specific topic about younger women in the scene. You know, it's interesting because we talked to um, Andrea Sear earlier and she mentioned the same thing about the pro crit scene in the U S is that you end up with these, you mentioned it very early in the episode that you have highly educated women in the field and do you see that specifically in the women's field because you feel like they're it's too risky to roll the dice on a pro career and you have to basically put yourself in a position where you're able to take care of yourself and you're able to have the life you need and 
that is what ends up creating the situation you just mentioned where the women that are in these types of events all are, you know, like you said, the average age is 33. You have a lot of older women versus, you know, you know, you don't have these like U23 type women. It's not as common anyway. I mean, is that something that is that is that part of the problem? Is it too risky for a woman to go in and, and, and roll the dice on this type of a career? Yeah, I think I think it's a, a big part of the conversation, one that, you know, not a lot of people want to touch on. But, you know, you have women getting into the sport later. So, you know, they may have gone through college and may have worked in the corporate world for, for two or three years. And, you know, you sort of have your average earning potential coming out of school. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, it's a big investment in yourself to say, hey, I think I'm going to make it. I'm going to take a 80 percent pay cut or 100 percent pay cut you know, yep. and, and work at a coffee shop and, and try to, you know, try to support my dreams. And, you know, the, the contract amount for a lot of really, really talented women's riders, top, top international talent may be, you know, barely, barely minimum for living. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there, there is that dichotomy there. And I think, you know, gravel, especially for, for those women that are getting out later, you know, you have, you know, the flexibility to maybe work a little bit and support yourself and also develop and also, mm -hmm. you know, race with both. Um, and so I think, you know, when you're a junior, you know, and you're coming out of school and you haven't had to, you know, fully support yourself, it's a little bit of an easier transition to go from, you know, maybe making zero in high school to making 10k to making 20k to making 30k. But you know, when you come out and you have, you know, responsibilities and, and life and bills to pay, and then, you know, you, it, there's an extra, there's an extra layer of decision making mm -hmm. there. Um, and a lot of it is internally betting on yourself as to, okay, hey, this may take me a year and a half to get a contract that pays the bills, but I'm going to make it work. So, um, yeah, I think that's a big part of the women's conversation. Um, and I think a lot of athletes struggle with it because, you know, the talent I've seen in the women's peloton is unreal. And the stories I've heard of athletes saying, I, I hope I can pay rent this month when, mm -hmm. you know, they're on a, they're on a world's team is, is crazy to me. And I don't, the solution um, could be, you know, multiple, you know, so many, so many different solutions for that. But uh, yeah, it's a real conversation, especially from, from an American rider that has to, you know, send it overseas with, with no money in the bank account. No, but I think the other point, the other side of that coin, though, is that if women had the opportunity to focus on racing, we might get better races, we might get better racers and more exciting races. So, you know, the way that that would work is if these, like you said, Kylie, if we could pay women and, you know, men, if we could pay for people in gravel in general in the US, we could pay enough to get people to make a good living to stay here and, and even attract other, like we were talking a little bit about Europeans coming over. Like we could really make the scene big for you two, both being on the inside. Do you have any insights into anything that whether it's lifetime or whether it's any of these other uh, events are trying to do to make the racing or to, to grow the racing from a, um, spectator slash fan slash you know investment point of view because you guys both know i'll be like contacting you like hey where can i watch your race how can i watch your race today or, yeah. or whatever because it's not right now it's not as easy it's not like i can just you know jump on one of these streaming services and the race is there and i just watch it you know what i mean and, and even if it is streaming right now because like you mentioned you're out in the middle of nowhere 
it has all of those cool what do you want to call it it has all those cool elements to it but it also has some makes it hard to broadcast i mean is there any sort of plans that you guys know of of how to engage more people to bring more money into the sport so we can pay the riders so we can have a better product i mean for right now i mean it's really just like it's all money like you know it's like who has the biggest prize purse like it's yeah it's, and it attracts like you know it, it attracts cyclists but it also brings a t attention to the race for people who aren't cyclists like you know you'll have something that'll pop up uh just wherever and it'll be like oh largest prize person whatever cycling history or whatever and it's lifetime grand prix you know and it's two hundred thousand or uh I, I think last year it was two hundred thousand split between men and women 25 deep or something like that so yeah. there's obviously that part of it but like you said like the streaming gravel is a little tough um you know i think they really need to figure out how to do it properly how to how to stream it how to get more views and everything I mean, this year at Unbound, they had this like a like a razor, like, you know, like the like not a quad, but like a almost mm -hmm. like a car. But they had this huge uh, uh, gimbal off of the front and the back of the vehicle and had cameras on it. And it was pretty cool. But, you know, it's it's tough again because there's no you know, there's no service. You're out in the middle of nowhere. And so with that, they didn't stream it. But they at the end of the year or after each race, they come out with episodes. So last year there mm -hmm. was six episodes, one per race. So you had like an Unbound episode, you had like a Sea Otter episode, you know. So I think that was pretty cool. But again, kind of finding out the, you know, doing a live stream would be great. You know, again, you are out in the middle of nowhere. But I mean, the Tour de France is the most watched sporting event in the world yep. every every year. You know, more than more than the, the Super Bowl, more than, you know, yep. anything out there. And so, um, you know, it's it, it has the potential. Like everybody, like people watch cycling. Um yeah, absolutely so, yeah you just it, i think it's it's really just kind of you know finding finding out how to do it properly yeah i think uh the next step is definitely broadcasting or at least mm -hmm. viewership in some form i know you know this sort of pulls on the heartstrings for any of the women at uci world championships but our race was not oh, yeah. broad broadcasted at all um, and I, you know, it's, it's crazy. There's a, there's such a lack of visibility. Um, and you know, you see it in Europe and the, the U S does such a great job of trying to be inclusive between the two, which is wonderful to see. But I think, uh, you know, lifetime grand prix is, is done their, their YouTube series, as Ethan mentioned, which has been great. I think that, you know, the sort of the next step, um, would be all of our main gravel races sort of having, you know, maybe the answer is collective broadcasting of some sort but mm -hmm. each you know race is their own organization so that's what money they can come up up with for broadcasting and so i don't think we've reached a level yet at least in the gravel scene here where it's um you know like a unified broadcasting system and you know maybe that's the next step of hey guys we're going to coordinate um mm -hmm. and raise money and find a way that will you know bring more visibility to the sport and which helps all of our individual races too. Um, and so, you know, that could be an answer. Um, but yeah, Lifetime Grand Prix has done a great job. I think, you know, we were, we were shit talking with our neighbors about, um, hey, they should, they should make a gravel Netflix show like they have for F1. How cool would it be to see the individual yeah. stories of all the athletes? Um, so yeah, I think, you know, that media in itself does wonders for anything. And it could increase visibility for brands as well. So I sort of see that being the next step and how they figure it out. I'm not sure. 
but yeah, that's that's definitely something we need need in the sport. Well, now I can't yeah. watch like races at all. Like other than GCN, I don't know where to go to watch races. Yeah. So <laughs> obviously that makes well, things difficult. Yeah. You you could come to my house because I pay an exorbitant <laughs> amount of money to have all of the streaming services. But you know, Kylie, like you were just mentioning, unfortunately, without GCN, the actually I, it's not even GCN's fault, but the Tour Down Under is on Peacock, and that just mm-hmm. started. But they did not broadcast the women's tour down under this year. They only are broadcasting the men's, which is stupid. And we actually had a podcast specifically about them not broadcasting the um, women's UCI uh, gravel yeah, and race. It's, it's, and- uh, it's such a shame. We especially, you know, we take it off topic, but um, a good friend of mine, Heidi uh, Francher, yeah. races for Oahu. She got fifth in a stage. She is sort of a the perfect example of American development to European success. So it's been cool mm-hmm. to see her, but you know, for all of those younger girls growing up watching bike racing, it's, it's so key to watch it. Um, because, you know, ever since I was you know young and I started off in swimming for so many years, but you know, it started from watching the Olympics on the TV, watching mm-hmm. women's swimming. I used to go to, you know, we used to have big 10 network and I used to watch, you know, Northwestern girls swimming and that sort of sparked my interest. And so, that's such a key piece for development of the next generation. So I, they, they do need to fix it. And I'm hoping gravel, you know, at least in the U S starts to get that going, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a conversation for sure. It's a huge, huge shame. I mean, we're like, I know you guys probably haven't, well, I know you haven't listened to all of our podcasts, but we're huge (laughs) female cycling advocates and like, we love female racing and then, like I said, I think maybe my hope is we're on the long-term plan here because when you're at, like, again, the Leadville finish line or just the week leading up to Leadville and everyone, I mean, I was not alone in taking my family out there. Mike took his family out there and, like, there was kids everywhere. So maybe we're just, like, you know, eight, ten years shy of all those kids who grew up, like, watching their moms and dads do Unbound or Leadville or uh, you know, whatever, you know, not to stick on lifetime, but like gravel locos or whatever. Right. Um, maybe those kids are, um, you know, just a few years away from like really getting into it and kind of popping off the American scene, hopefully. Yeah, Yeah. maybe. I mean, I, I think that, you know, what is important though, is like Ethan said earlier, I mean, we have a lot of sports here in the US and yeah, their parents might go to that, but then they're going to, you know, their friends are going to play basketball or softball or baseball or whatever, soccer. And, you know, that thing you mentioned about the Netflix thing, that might be a great idea because (laughs) the more you can expose people and, and why, you know, Ryan mentioned us being uh, big time supporters of women's racing. And part of the reason for that is because we want to see more, we, the VeloChumps want to see more people on bikes, period. More people on bikes is better, no matter what. And if you have more women's racing, more women visibility, just like Kylie said, she's growing up watching swimming on TV, watching the Olympics, watching the Big Ten Network. It got her into swimming. If we can get more exposure, not just taking people to the races, but more exposure, whether it's social media, whether it's broadcast, whether it's Netflix, whether it's something, more exposure to racing you you'll have even more kids, Ryan, not just the kids that the you know were lucky enough to win the lottery and take their kids, you know, people that were parents that were lucky enough to win take their kids, but you have a lot more people that have visibility to this type of a you know racing environment that they might get into it, and well, that's really what we want to see, you know. Well, and and I think uh, that 
that Tour de France Netflix documentary that they released. I thought that did a great job. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was a good, uh, you know, a good show coming from me who I know bike racing, but I also think like, I think that people who, who aren't into bike racing or don't know anything about it, I think they did a really good job breaking it down, making it exciting, mm-hmm. like making it understandable uh, for everybody. And so I think that's, that was another huge part was, was just like that they could, you know, they could attract other people, not just people who are already right. in the cycling community, which is the whole idea, which is what gravel is trying to do, which is what majority of the people in the sport are trying to do is just kind of grow the popularity of it and you know kind of appeal to people who aren't already in the sport i hope that i mean if you guys i'm sure we all remember here but like that was like one of the best tours ever so i am super excited for season two i just hope that because it wasn't quite as firework-esque as the first season that it still meets the expectations that we all kind of like expect. Yeah, they did a really good job. I thought it was super good. I do think that it's a liability for them to uh, show Tom Pidcock descending. I think that's bad representation on Neos, <laughs> but you know, it was entertaining. And I think a lot of other people would have thought that that was sweet. So, you know, yeah, but you know, if you two, like you said, you both mentioned that you, you like the opportunity for the development, but I think you also both said that you would like to have a chance for this to stick around and you would like to have a go at it and be here and make your career. Like if you two were the commissioners of gravel, <laughs> what is something you would do in the next, you know, one to two or three years to grow the sport and try to create this, you know, m- momentum to where, like Ryan's saying, younger kids are getting into it. It becomes something that we're all excited about, and it becomes something that it establishes itself as a scene. What 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 are some things you might try to do in that situation? I think um, there's some races that do a really good job, but I think you have a lower uh, distance for people who, again, because you're trying to bring people who aren't already in the sport. You're kind of trying to bring them mm-hmm. into the sport. So I think having a shorter distance for some of the people who aren't as uh, experienced in riding there are some races that do well. I think uh, Unbound has like a 35 maybe um, mm-hmm. where they did this past year. Uh, but there are a lot of races where it's like, okay, your shortest race is like 75. And then there's, you know, two other distances, one that's, you know, whatever, uh, 150 and then one that's like 300. Um, and so again, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's races that do good a good job of that. But I also think, you know, there's races that don't really do that. And I think it would, it would help, you know, not every race needs to have a a shorter distance, but I think like, you know, maybe there's a race that, that has a shorter distance, but a race across the country that it does, you know, it's hard for someone over here to go way across the country just Mm -hmm. to do a gravel race for, uh, for a hobby or something that they're just starting off. Um, so I think having shorter distances would be beneficial at just about every race. Well, you bring up, uh, were either of you involved in NICA growing up? Yeah, I, uh, I did NICA all four, all four, uh, years in high school. So, um, you guys, so one of my best friends, his name is Seth. He used to work for Jensen USA and he was in Illinois for four years cause his wife was an OB resident and we got super involved with and tried to look into like Illinois does not have NICA. Um, and so we tried to like establish that in Springfield and it was like impossible. Like if it wasn't already, you know, developed it, what it was like, so 
you bring up an interesting point, like how, how I keep talking about my daughter's talk nonstop about Leadville and like, are you signing up next year? When is the lottery day? Like, are you going to get in the lottery? Like, um, so what if all these races, and again, I know we're talking a lot about lifetime, but not just lifetime. Like what if they, they need to start and maybe I think some of them do, but like have some child races, like, you know, have, you know, unbound where you go around like the, maybe just like the city limits or something for 15 miles or 12 miles and your kids can do it because a lot of us are taking our kids to these events. Yeah, I think um, a junior field or a U23 field would be a great addition. I think, um, you know, the structure of the races has been one big mass start and, you know, not to hone on uh, lifetime, but this year will be the first year that all of the races have separate women's and men's starts. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I think that's that's a one step forward for, for the women's field, at least. Um, you know, I think, it, it's terrifying line, lining up to pro men and trying to, you know, volley for a spot at the front. And I think, especially with newer women coming in to gravel that are a bit younger, you know, lining up to to next to 30-year-old world tour men, it's not a great mix. Um, so that separate start is, is, is a, you know, for, for multiple reasons, a good step forward. And I think visibility is the next big point. You know, if we can if we can expand um, visibility to more people, there's going to be more, more, more of the younger generation coming in and trying it because, you know, I, I just keep on going back to, you know, being a young kid watching, you know, the elite win races and it just, it, it sort of creates a dream inside of you and you, you want, you, mm-hmm. you want to race, you want to win. And, you know, I, if that wasn't there, if I couldn't have watched my idols, win races i i don't know if i'd have that spark the same way and so you know allowing more younger women to see women winning races would do would do wonders because you know only takes one memory like that like a leadville to sort of spark that interest of wow i want to do the same thing you know and i Mm -hmm. it takes you know we'll break down the conversation more but you know as a young girl watching you know, men win. There's been so many commercials and headlines of, I need to see a woman winning. And it, it couldn't be more true. If, if I didn't see someone just like me winning, you know, I, who knows if it would be the same dream. So I think visibility is, is such a big play. And, um, you know, last point before I hand it off to you, but uh, at Gravel Worlds, <laughs> we, uh, part, a part of our winning purse, we got to donate um, to, mm-hmm. um, you know, a younger you know, up and up and coming uh, children's team. And so we got to pick anywhere from, you know, they gave us up to 15 different um, youth groups to pick from. So that was a really cool way to sort of give back and, and help develop the youth scene. So, you know, yeah, races cool. are trying it just, you know, as Ryan sort of pointed out, it may be a long-term trend that we sort of have to wait for. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, you see a lot of the Boulder juniors around here, they're, they're hopping in the shorter distances unbalanced. I think you're starting to see them trickle in, but you know, if we could just keep encouraging it, I think it'd be, it'd be great. Well, and, cool. and so from your guys's uh, standpoint, like with the gravel scene, what, like, what do you think is, will attract more, more traffic, like within the cycling community already, but also people who aren't involved in cycling community. Like, I mean, you guys have done gravel races. You guys have done Leadville. Like, is it the lining up with the pros? Is it, you know, the long distances? Is it everybody doing the same course? Like what, 
like really excites you guys about the gravel scene and like what 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 like makes you guys want to do gravel over say like you know Leadville over like a road race or uh you know a Grand Fondo or just you know like a hot route or something like that that you know is popular um but then there's the gravel scene you have a lot of questions in there Ethan I I, I, I'll, I'll address a couple of them for myself and that is um you know, I, I was telling Eric and the guys probably months ago that for me, I think it would be amazing if they could have that series, the the Lifetime series, just televised regularly where you can almost, whether it's ESPN or Peacock or something where you know that, you know, uh, on one Saturday a month, they're going to be televising this race start to finish. They're going to be, you know, touching on all the personalities and, and what they're going through and the injuries and the, the backgrounds and the backstories, just like the Olympics and I think that would be so fantastic, but I, Kylie, I think your idea is even better is to have the Netflix documentary where it just follows the entire season. And it's probably better to do it that way since it's easier to maybe not do the live feed for the whole race as it is to do a documentary on, on some of these locations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, for me, Ethan, uh, it's, it's about, lining up and doing the same race as the pros. Um, and, you know, Eric Eric had mentioned, uh, hey, should I sign up for Unbound? And if he does the 100 or the 200, and my answer, without even thinking about it, is the 200. You know, he's not necessarily going to go for the win, so you might as well go for the iconic uh, distance. Did you not ask him about the 350? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Yeah, that one was out. I did. I did register or for the lottery anyway for the two hundred. So, well, we actually, I think we talked about this in our Leadville recap ap- episode. <clears throat> but as fans of the sport, and this is where, like, I've kind of joked on our podcast numerous times. Like, we're we call ourselves chumps, but the reality is, is all of us are like pretty serious chumps. Um, <laughs> and so, like, as a super fan of the sport being on the same course at the same time as you guys is like incredible. And then like also being in Leadville the week preceding and like, you know, we did a couple um, pre-rides and like, you know, went to go see like some crux parts of the course and just hanging around town, running into like, we all ran into, you know, multiple, like I saw Lachlan like 17 times. And like, what's funny about that is like, Eric and I actually did, uh, Lachlan came to Rafa Chicago to do like a plug for his coffee company. And so I was like, Hey man, I'll see you in Leadville. And he's like, you done it before? And I was like, Nope, Nope. And, (laughs) and, uh, he gave me some tips and some pointers and so when i ran into him in leadville i i didn't yeah say anything. he told him to go off if when he was doing his race <laughs> he also told him to- we, we could oh, i'm gonna have to have a i'm gonna have to have a word with Lockie. yeah we can we can we can talk about that if we need to but um just like being part of the experience and part of like the fandom was like so amazing to me because I'm a fan of the sport. Now I realize maybe not everyone follows it as closely as like I do or Eric does, but um, I will say, you know, I haven't done any other lifetime events, but Leadville specifically, we talked about this on our recap episode, but there was some pretty dangerous parts of the course because of the two-way traffic. But to say that I was on the course at the same time that Keegan broke the record. And like, I remember we had all talked about it. Like, you know, we have our own like private chat. And so we had talked about like, where do you think Keegan will pass us? 
And I remember when he passed me, I was like, no, no way. Like I wasn't even like, I thought for sure I'd make it really close to twin lakes before he came back past me. Not even close. (laughs) But you know, the other thing though, Ethan is that it is cool. What they are just saying is absolutely cool. And if, you know, if I get into the, um, and if I get into the Unbound and I get to do it at that same same day and time and all that stuff, I'm sure I'll have the same experience and I'm sure I'll enjoy that. And that'll be big for me. But you and I all, everyone here knows that the vast majority of this, the people in this country, like you guys can walk down the street. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows who Keegan Swenson is. The guy's won all the lifetime races. He's a superstar. He, I'm sure he could walk through Frankfurt, Illinois. Nobody would know who he was, right? And I think one of the things we need to do is get those people interested in racing, not just the people that are already, you know, it's like the people that don't know who the pros are, aren't going to be excited to ride on the same course as people that they don't even know who they are. So how do we get people interested in doing this sort of thing? Because I think if you, the point is the experience itself is cool. So if you can get more people to experience that, whether they know that there's pros there or not, just being out in these in these areas in this environment on a bike somehow we have to create the inspiration for more people that are just you know that it, it, they don't have to become pros they don't even have to race they don't have to be comp- competitive but if they find themselves interested in the sport and then like people like you then that creates more value for sponsors and that in turn creates more value for you right so things like that like that's what we need to figure out how to do is create the excitement i mean you know this is nfl football playoff weekend everybody's glued to their tvs you know how do you create that same sort of excitement or maybe not that same but you understand what i'm saying how do you create something similar for cycling and you know the other thing about europe is the races over there are you know early in the morning here so you kind of have to be committed if you want to watch these races right but if you have races in the u.s that are happening at the times they're happening, people can naturally watch them and they don't have to go to this crazy effort to do it or they can follow them or they can get into them or whatever. So I do feel like there's an opportunity there that we have to figure out how to, you know, it's both people like you on the inside, but people like us that are enthusiasts on the outside. How do we work together as a bicycle community to create this, you know, energy around what it is we're trying to do? Cause you know, it's fun. You know, we all know this. It's fun. And we I feel like if you can just get the person out there on the bike, they'll understand that it's fun. And maybe that'll just, you know, they'll pick it up as a as a hobby. And now you have more people. You know, you know how it is. You have more people buying, you know, whatever it is that, yeah. that uh, just just boost the industry. Right. Well, and the and the beginner riders like it's you know, it's we kind of need to. I don't know, appeal to them a bit more in a way that like, you know, you don't have to have a $5,000 bike for you to go out and do this event or do this race. Like, (laughs) you know, you can ride the bike that you have. Like, it doesn't matter if it's drop bar, flat bar, like that's the cool part about the gravel scene as well. But, you know, those kind of people who already ride bikes, who enjoy, you know, maybe watching bike racing, but they're, they don't want to go do this race or be a part of this event because they think that, you know, you have to have a, you know, an, a ten thousand dollar, twelve thousand mm-hmm. dollar bike, shaved legs, and white socks. Like, <laughs> what? Well, well, uh, that's actually a really good point, and I want to ask you two about it because 
you know, road riding can be difficult to break into mm-hmm. because there's so many stupid rules and there's so many pretentious people. And, you know, there's some group rides around here that if you don't act a certain way, people start yelling at you. And then that's not a good way to get people to um, stick with riding. But then, you know, gravel comes around and there's this whole like, you know, vibe that's supposed to be in gravel. Right. And, and, and it's, it is, it can, it should be very inclusive, but I do want to ask you too about this. I think it was two years ago. I don't remember if it was steamboat or whatever, when there was that whole thing with Pete Stetna and he said the spirit of gravel had died and everyone was making fun of him. So I'm really, really interested on you too. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, especially you, Ethan on the inside. Like what, what was your take on that? Where this whole thing with the spirit of gravel and this whole like, oh, we're, you know, I can't believe they attacked the feed zone. That was the other meme going around. They attacked the feed zone and all these things happening. So like, what's your take on that with the whole spirit of gravel? Cause it is a different vibe, but at the same time, I'm like, you're, you know, you're trying to win a race. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's tough. Like, uh, you know, again, this is, you know, Pete Stetna retired and went to gravel and that's kind of where it started off. It's like this, you know, I think it was kind of like a joke, like, yeah, you know, like, and, and he was kind of, he kind of, you know, owned gravel at the time, I guess you could say, like, he was really, you know, there was him and then there was like some fast, like amateurs, I'd say. Um, and so there was, you know, there was a good amount of money in the races. Uh, and so, you know, I think he had just, he was so used to racing by himself that he wasn't used to the world tour rules and everything that he had left years ago. Um, and so I think he just, you know, he was just being pretentious and, you know, thinks he owns, owns gravel. And, you know, so now people are, are actually racing it versus, you know, him being able to cruise around and, and put his hands up at the finish line. Uh, it's just a different, you know, it's, it's, it's a different event yeah. now, you know, it's, it's full gas <laughs> racing now. I mean, you put $200,000 on the line and people are going to attack the feed zone. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out. Turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. It was funny that, uh, with the UCI gravel worlds, um, I think a lot of roadies at first were, you know, not giving any respect, uh, to the event when, when they first announced they were going to have it. And, you know, Ethan and I had sat down when they announced it and I'm like, how, how would you not have talent with a, with a rainbow Jersey on the line? I mean, you give mm-hmm. someone the opportunity to win a world championship, you know, talent is going to show up and, and whether that's this year or next year or all the years it, there will be mm-hmm. serious, serious riders at races with, with money and, and with prestige. So. I mean, and Mahorik and, and Cassia were both, you could tell they were both super stoked to win that race. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like, Oh, I just won the gravel. No, nope, I mean, not at all. Both like, I mean, it was incredibly a, stoked, it was a, which was cool. It was a world tour race. Like, I mean, you, yeah. Mahorich was, uh, was racing hardcore. I mean, he had, you know, it was him and two other guys in the break. Like Connor Swift was on Ineos. So another mm-hmm. world tour guy. And then, uh, Alejandro Valverde was there for a while. Um, and then one other guy who got second, who was also world tour. I mean, they were, it was full tilt. Like, you know, they went as hard as they could possibly go. Yeah. I mean, and that race was bananas. If you haven't seen any of the YouTube footage of that stuff, that race was completely just chaotic. Like you were saying it was, it was out of hand. So I'm sure it was either extremely, um, fun or extremely, uh, you know, terrifying or maybe both. It, it looked it looked interesting one way or the other. Well, and Cassia has such a fandom, so it is a damn shame yeah. <laughs> that yeah. the female race was not televised because yeah. the world yeah. would have gone crazy for her. 
Yeah, especially yep. she's she's been on so many podiums and she's mm-hmm. just such an iconic rider and to see her win a championship was 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 so great to see. She's such a personality of the sport and you know, like you were saying about giving attention to to riders for visibility, she's a great example, you know. I mean, her she displays her personality on social media and it, and it shows. I mean, the the cycling world loves her and if we were just given that opportunity, especially at Worlds, to see that emotion on her face upon winning a championship, I think that's, you know, sort of, you know, the money right there is, hey, look at look at how many years and how much hard work she's put into it. And to mm-hmm. see her finally succeed is so cool. Um, and so I think that piece is missing. And so to have that televised would be wonderful. Yep. Yeah. I think in a lot of context of what we've said today, like – visibility is the answer yeah go ahead mike i'm just gonna ask kylie and ethan if they uh could compare or contrast coaching they receive in europe versus what they get over here is it is it a different uh style you know is it more or less hardcore or is it more or less structured are they pushing different things you know all about power or climbing etc yeah, I think it's, you know, it's kind of over the last year or two, it's kind of, um, the coaching style has kind of changed a bit. Um, you know, they're starting to do more, you know, nobody used to run. Now everybody's running, everybody's lifting. They used to not do lifting. It used to be like, you know, eat, you know, this tiny little amount. And now it's like, eat as much as you possibly can because you need carbs. Um, and so, you know, in terms of gravel versus road, I think it's it's kind of gotten pretty similar. Uh, but I think in the past it was very much like gravel, do as much volume as you possibly can. And then road, you know, make it a little more punchy, you know, maybe not quite as many hours, you know, the longest race is probably like Roubaix or San Remo or something like that. That's like, you know, six to eight hours. So it's really, you know, one six to eight hour race isn't, isn't crazy, but all the gravel stuff is such, such uh, long and, and so much volume that they were kind of like, I think just do more volume. But now they're kind of like moving away from all the volume and, and adding in the intensity, uh, you know, and kind of kind of getting, the, uh, you know, a good compromise between the two. Uh, just because, you know, if you can't, if you don't have the endurance, you know, you're not going to be able to keep up with the race and you're going to crack and not be able, to be able to perform well. But then you also, you know, you need to have the ability to punch and sprint and, you know, do everything like that to win races. So now it's, it's really just a good, I think, 50-50 mix. Um, and obviously it changes coach to coach, but, you know, I think it's very uh, comparable now. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's a, a lot of different philosophies um, on, you know, you've seen the Keegan method of hours and you've seen, you know, people come over and say, hey, no, like intensity and punch is just an important component of gravel racing as as putting in all the miles that you can. Um, but, you know, from my personal experience, my training hasn't changed too much from, you know, last year on the European circuit to here. I mean, maybe I've added, um, you know, a little bit more endurance on, on loaded on one day, but, you know, the fatigue across a stage race is sort of the fatigue you may carry for a 12 day event or sorry, a 12 hour one day event. So I haven't changed too much. Um, one area of focus has been obviously dirt skills. You have to be super versatile. I've noticed on the gravel scene, whether you're, you know, doing lifetime, you may need the, you know, short punch and mountain bike skills, or you may need, you know, 
unbound 200 endurance length. So um, I think you can sort of cater your training to what races you're peaking for at that certain time. Whereas road is, I guess, a little bit more consistent in the length and the intensity. Um, but yeah, I think what's cool about gravel is you can really train to your rider type. So people that are, that lean, you know, maybe a little bit better towards endurance can focus more on punch and, and vice versa because the races are so different. I don't know how much you guys are allowed or able to talk about it or not, but what's the 2024 calendar look like? And I know like we had a lot of discussion about Leadville this past year, Ethan, but I don't know, like what's, what's on deck. Yeah. I mean, my schedule is going to be pretty similar to uh, this past year. Uh, I'll start off with mid South, you know, do all the major gravel events unbound, uh, you know, all the, all the lifetime gravel events, uh, the rad big sugar, I'll do steamboat, uh, you know, maybe Garmin Gravel Worlds, UCI Gravel Worlds I'd like to do. Um, and I, I would like to do Leadville and all that stuff. We'll kind of see that'll be, you know, all dependent on what my, how I'm feeling throughout the year. Cause that's just the hard one. Cause it's, it's back-to-back weekends with Steamboat. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's all dependent on, you know, if I can get, get the mountain bike skills up. Um, I didn't even bother really applying to lifetime this year. I'd like to get some more time on the mountain bike and, you know, not be, not be forced to do those specific races. Um, but that schedule will be pretty similar to last year. Not a whole lot's changing, thankfully. So one last, you know, another thing about these two that maybe you don't know, maybe you do, if you, if you listen to the podcast, if you're a, you know, a regular listener and you pay attention, you might have heard us talk about these two because they have been our coaches. Um, and, Ryan and Mike can uh, attest to how they got them prepared and for Leadville and how they were able to finish Leadville. Both of them have the buckle. I think we put that on Instagram. So both of them got the buckle. That's pretty cool. Um, I am not, do not even have a mountain bike. I'm not, you know, a mountain bike rider. It doesn't mean I will never be, but as of right now, I'm not. But I have done some gravel gravel races some road stuff and uh you know they've been my coaches for that and we i think we've all um you know we've all accomplished a lot or we've all improved a lot i will say um i was actually very surprised i will be completely honest i was very surprised at how much stronger i got in the last year like i was thinking that i could add structure and then i could you know you know, be you, you could get a little bit faster by having some structure versus just, you know, going out and riding every week or every, you know, riding long every weekend and getting a few rides here and there, going to get breakfast in the in during the weekday, going to get donuts and coffee, you know. But putting in like the the program, I was like I was like my last power test, I was just like, Oh my god, I can't even believe that I actually did that. So that was pretty impressive. So so if 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 someone else was interested in uh you know contacting you two to say hey maybe you could do a program for me like how would they how would they go about that Yeah well thanks for the the little promotion here we appreciate it but um Yeah yeah I mean we we started this program you know mainly you know on a few points you mentioned we see so many passionate athletes um you know they, they love riding their, their pegged all day riding at one pace. They think, you know, mm-hmm. the theory is, Hey, the more miles, the harder I go, the better I'm going to get. 
Um, and so we came in with this idea of, hey, how do we provide structure around everybody's individual life schedule and develop a full range of zones um, to sort of help them with their with their development and and really love the sport. Um, and that was a big thing for me. I see so many, you know, watching my dad grow up, uh, not grow up, watching my dad grow in his passion for, for triathlon and cycling and go through these spurts uh, where he's super motivated for a year and a little burnt out for a year and super motivated for a year, mm-hmm. sort of concentrating around while I've got a life and I've got a family and I'm putting 110% of my time into a program that doesn't fit my lifestyle. And so I saw that so much. And I said to Ethan, Hey, how do we create a program that keeps people coming back? Um, and that they feel like this could be something that they could, that could be an additive their life for so many years. Um, so that was sort of the theory of, you know, upon starting the program and, um, with reaching out, we have a website ecosystemcoaching.com. Um, that's sort of, you can, you know, fill out a form and, and tell us your interests. We do anything from cycling to marathon training to triathlon. Um, and I think, you know, the two of us coming from different backgrounds is, is super important. We, you know, we have athletes and, you know, we may focus, you know, your, you have an individual athlete may communicate with one of us more than the other, but both of us look at the plan every day. And so it's really fun for us to bounce ideas back and forth from each other. Um, and you know, a big push I've been trying to make is, is more women in the program. You know, we see so many Mm men, um, that are like pushing for a coach, but you know, you see a lot of women that may think, um, oh, I'm not good enough to have a coach or I'm not experienced enough. And we really work from levels of, Hey, I've been riding for 10 years or, you know, I, I need to buy a bike. What, what bike do I ride? Um, so it's been mm-hmm. really fun to work with all levels and to see the growth of our athletes is sort of the rewarding part. I mean, we get to see it in our own training, but, um, you know, being a part of someone else's process is so fun to us. And, you know, I'll let Ethan talk a little bit more about his background and wanting to coach, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been such a fun experience and seeing you guys especially get so much stronger is, you know, faith that the program's working. So, Yeah. Yeah. And it's really just about like, you know, individualizing the training. Like there's a lot of, you know, apps and programs out there that, you know, you can use to train, um, but it's just not, it, it's not specific to the person. So, you know, it's not going to, you know, if you miss a workout or whatever, it's not really going to adjust to the person or, if, you know, if they're not feeling well, or, you know, maybe that's too much fatigue for their body, you know, everybody's body reacts differently. So it's all about, you know, the individual um, personal training, but also, uh, you know, creating around, people's life, like Kylie said, you know, around work, like, you know, it's hard to, to fit everything in. And so where we, you know, decrease the, the amount of hours writing, we increase the uh, intensity and, and interval sessions. Um, but, you know, like you, you guys on the weekend, when you guys were training for Leadville and everything like that, like, you know, it's, it's easy to throw in a longer ride or, you know, if you guys got to move things around, you know, that sort of thing. Or if you're just like, hey, I want to go ride with my friend today and we'll just go cruise around. You know, it's easy for me to throw something in and, and adjust the workouts and, you know, make it so you guys can do what you what you want, like ride what you want and, you know, ride with who you want, but also, you know, get you fit and get you to you know, to meet your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and- that's absolutely true. I will I'll back that up. That that's that's how it works in real life. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't want to take anything away from Eric and Mike, but I have younger children than they do, 
and my, well, you're a younger you're a younger child than us so yeah that's, that would make sense well and when i when i first signed on with ethan and kylie i was in a very inflexible stressful work environment where i mean we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty but i was working i had clinic three days a week surgery two days a week and very uh rigid hard to fit in training type of environment and these guys would text me and like you know they were keeping an eye on my power data my heart rate data and they would text me and i remember specifically there was one week in particular where and i don't remember exactly what the workout was called but there is i was like devastated that i because kylie actually made fun of me because I was like so type A and so anal retentive that I like did the workouts to a T and Kylie was like, you know, you just, you just need to do the intervals. Like the other stuff doesn't really matter so much. And I was like, well, whatever you prescribe me, I will do. And there was one (laughs) week that I could not hit the targets and I was like devastated and like mortified that I was going to like, you know, get pulled at twin lakes on Leadville or something. And, um, you know, they reached out to me proactively to say like, Hey, I noticed such and such, let's talk about this or let's talk about that or let's adjust this. Or do you have time for a call or, um, and sure there's a, there's a cost associated with this, but to take the guessing game out of the equation for a once in a lifetime or possibly a once in a lifetime situation like Leadville and just know that I could trust in the process. Because I remember after the fact, I was like, you know, altitude didn't really impact me that bad. Like, sure, it played an effect, but, and Ethan's like, yeah, that's why we had you do all those like VO te- VO2 efforts to like raise your VO2 level. So when you're at altitude and I was like, oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's what makes it all make sense, right? Like you helped me achieve like a lifetime dream and like how incredible is that? So we, we've talked about all these things tonight about, you know, development and how do we get more people involved or whatever, but it's like, there's a lot of different ways to accomplish that. But I feel like in a way you're, you're already doing that. Like you're helping amateurs achieve lifelong dreams and like, how incredible is that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a blast. It was a super super awesome to see, and I'm glad the training works. And again, it's you know the personalization is like what it's all about. Like you know, it's it's you know you can you can definitely get fit from from you know having you know a program or using something else that's you know like automated. But you know, it's it's completely different. It, you you're not going to get the same benefit. Cool. So I will put the, I don't do this very often. We, we, you guys need to remind, we need to do this more often on our show, but I'll put a link to your website on the show notes. So if you're listening, actually look in the show notes this week and I will, uh, I'll have a link in there so you can go check it out. And as we talked about, uh, visibility, we need to put their, uh, Instagram handles on there too. Yeah, yeah, sure. We can put, we can put all that in there. So you can, you can look these two up. You should become fans of these two. Because they, like I said, they are up and coming and they are going to be, uh, you know, people to, to keep an eye on. So you can say, you know, hey, if you haven't heard of these two, you're like, oh, I heard about them on the Velochumps and now they're, you know, world beaters. So that's exciting for us, you know. I don't want to put, I don't want to put Mike on the spot, but Mike went out there for, I think, close to three weeks 
and 37 days. Okay. <laughs> and he did the Leadville stage race. And according to his predictive time from the Leadville stage race, he was up against the clock. And that man was nowhere near up against the clock. Well, don't forget. I mean, he broke his hand and finished the stage race anyway. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say no, like so, that. You know. yeah. That plays into yeah. into effect. Definitely a broken no. hand on a mountain we, bike race. And we have talked about yeah. that. And I don't. I'm, I'm not trying to discredit that. <laughs> I mean, Trainer Road and, and Chat GPT aren't gonna tell you to rest because your wrist is broken. <laughs> They're just gonna tell you to keep going. <laughs> I think there were there were a few factors there. Um, number one, the training was fantastic and totally worked well for me and I'm, I'm totally grateful to you guys for that but um you know i i did i was able to dial it back well number one is i had to dial it back on day two of the stage race um and then uh on day three i knew where i wanted to be as far as to qualify for the fall so i i was just trying to come in underneath that ceiling um but then as far as the fall you know, obviously capitalizing on the, the fitness I've built through the program. Um, I think Ryan, my thing was I, I knew that I had X amount of hours to make it back from the, the aid station of, you know, of coming back down from Columbine. So I think that was a, a big thing there, but, um, yeah, some of those, some of those workouts and then texting or talking with Ethan so regularly. I, you know, it's fantastic relationship with you, Ethan. Um, I really appreciated all that and the, the flexibility and the ease of just having that open line of communication there. But I think, uh, knowing that you had confidence in me went a long way as far as the training goes and, um, completing that training. So, but I was going to say one of the, one of my favorite workouts of course was riding for, anywhere from three to five hours and then doing some efforts within those last couple hours, as opposed to doing, um, you know, efforts either, you know, just completely spaced throughout the whole, the whole two or three hour ride. Um, I thought that was pretty good to just go out and almost ride at an easy pace for three hours and then, and then mix in some medium level intervals there at the end. So, yeah, that's a that's always yeah. a good one. It's it's brutal, but I thought you were gonna say the easy spin was your favorite, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is totally well, fine. I mean, that's my favorite. But we we did yeah. have that one recovery ride, Mike. Remember, we did that one recovery ride with the that we put it on Instagram with the twelve hundred watt spike right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah we we did a recovery ride down Old Plank Trail, and then there was one segment we had to hit. So, right, you were on that ride too. The two of us yeah. led Mike out so he could get the the KOM yeah. or something like that. I mean, well, there's and, there are yeah, times that it's I'm, worth you know just ruining a recovery yeah. day to get a KOM, but you know that was one yeah. of those days. So. Yeah, exactly. You got you got a factoid for us, Mike? No factoid <laughs> oh, this no. week. Oh man. <laughs> It might end up being insulting to Ethan and Kyle. Let's Kylie. hear it. Let's hear it. I came on the show for one thing. I was, yeah, I was gonna say as a uh, as a professional gravel cyclist in the USA, uh, the number the number two thing that your coach has you do is learn how to work Instagram. Yeah, is that yes. wrong? Is that wrong? It can probably be elaborated on a little bit, but that's probably the amount of. It seems like that's very the true. amount of sponsors that I've talked to, like 
And after, like, we go through results, they're like, oh, all right. They're like, so how many Instagram followers do you have? And you're like, I'm like what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're like, okay, well, can you post more? Like, can you post this much about us about, you know, every month? Or like, you know, it, it's crazy. Kim's, Kim's yeah, going to love that commentary, that... Ethan. <laughs> yeah. Mike, that was a fact, not a factoid. So that was a failure <laughs> this week. But, you know, what can you Part do? Part two. Part two. I want to hear the <laughs> yeah. factoid. Yeah, we'll have Look, one ready. It's... It's fantastic that it's that you guys are at your age because if this came to me and my career right now and they said you got to be you know really active on social media I'd be like oh my goodness why why you know we, we do I, I see my daughter posting we do stuff feel that way sometimes me. though I mean it is like a it's hard you got to have your media personality which is sometimes like natural for some and not yeah. for others and I mean Ethan and I will sit down and he'll be like all right, I'll write your caption, you write mine, because it's just so hard to talk about yourself sometimes and not really, does this seem, does this seem okay? Does this seem kind of dorky? Like, how is, how is, how are other people going to perceive this caption, which is ridiculous that we spend that much time discussing a caption. Yeah. But. Well, yeah. your, your posts come across pretty cool. I, I don't, I I don't so. think you're dorky. <laughs> Most of the time anyway. <laughs> so anyway. That was good. That was good, Mike. As a way to wrap it up. But I do appreciate Ethan and Kylie, you coming on the show. That was fantastic. We will uh, definitely have to do this again. And we'll, you know, obviously, obviously, we'll stay in touch. But uh, it was definitely great having a chance to catch up with you guys, hear some cool insights on the, uh, the gravel scene in the U.S., about the difference with Europe. It was a pretty cool show. So we really appreciate you being here. Um, any last final things you want to want to say before cutting out not really uh thank you for having us it was a blast well uh yeah we'll definitely have to do this again yeah thank awesome. you guys appreciate it yeah thanks so if you want us to continue to have cool content like this where we can get some pro racers on the show we're gonna need you to go out there to your podcast app Make sure you subscribe to the show, give us a good rating, like it, whatever it is you need to do. But most importantly, tell your friends and family so you can get us more listeners, get us, uh, you know, higher on the, um, you know, the, the rankings on the podcast player. So more people find the show and we'll be able to continue to bring you uh, really cool content like this. So, again, thanks to you two for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll we'll be in touch and, and, and keep out an eye out for these two. Don't forget to look in the show notes. I know we no normally don't do this, but don't forget to look in the show notes. There's going to be some cool info around ecosystem and around these two fantastic gravel racers. And uh, yeah, that's what we got. And can Thanks, confirm they right. know what they're talking nice. about. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yep. All right. Later, All right. guys. Well, thanks, right. guys. Yeah, Later. Thank talking you guys. to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Talk to you. See ya. Bye. Spikes, 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 Thinking about bikes. Talking about bikes. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.